You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. I'll send you the invitation. So let me go ahead and pray before we start. Dear God, I thank you for your mercy and your love and the fact that we're still here. Thank you because you are a good God. I pray that today you would um, move uh, and speak to each one of us through your word. Um, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open, open, open our minds to be transformed in the image of your son, Jesus Christ, to be challenged and confounded with your word, but also comforted and full of, uh, filled with joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we're going to spend some time on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And we always read from the ESV, um, it's a section called Bond Servants and Masters. And it reads, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So I, I want to right off the bat recognize that the, the subject of slavery is uh, uncomfortable, it's difficult, um, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, what color you are, what race you are. This is a difficult topic to address, and, and our country has historically been divided because of, of things related to this issue. And to be honest, I think that we're still uh, feeling some of that uh, division today. But in a way, this is good because it helps us feel some of the tensions that the church in Ephesus was also feeling when Paul wrote this. I want to remind all of us that the church in Ephesus was a church that was very diverse. It was a church uh, where you found people from all over the known world back then because uh, Ephesus was a, a, an important city. So there was a lot of people from different nations and cultures. And the reality is that most of these people uh, had a history with each other. Uh, Many of those nations abused other nations or conquest other nations. Uh, they, they went to war with each other several times. Uh, slavery was a part of, of all of this. And in fact, why, when this is happening, when Paul is writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, the Romans uh, basically conquered all of that land. So Paul is not necessarily talking to a neutral audience that has never dealt with these things. In fact, he's, he's talking to an audience similar to us that has a history of abuses and difficulties and is still very uh, alive in that church at the moment when Paul is writing. So today I want to do three things with this passage. First of all, um, 
I would like to be honest and address some of the uh, questions and uh, things that people have uh, about uh, against the Bible, uh, but I'm going to try to do it without minimizing anything, because I feel like that's the way the Bible approaches almost any topic. If you notice, the Bible is very blunt about everyone. Uh, the Bible tells us about the sins of every single one of its heroes, quote-unquote heroes, and I think we should also be able to acknowledge our issues and our difficulties so I, I'm going to try to not sugarcoat the sins of our church or our faith. Um, and the second thing I want to do is try to explain why, even though that's an issue, uh, I don't believe that the Bible supports slavery. And the th uh, in fact, I think it opposes it and condemns it. And the third is that I want to argue that this passage and many other passages through the Bible actually uh, offers a better option for all of us as, as human beings. Uh, it, it offers a better solution than what the world thinks. So let me go ahead and start. And um, right off the bat, I believe and I see why people believe that the Bible condones or even supports slavery. Um, passages in the New Testament and in the Old Testament have been used not only to justify but also to even promote slavery. And this was uh, something that happened all throughout history. Uh, especially in our recent history, uh, especially in this country, and it has resulted in the abuse and the murder and the oppression of millions of people for hundreds of years. So this was a horrible sin that was carried out, uh, and people utilized the Bible to justify it. Uh, specifically with, uh, with the United States, we are all familiar with African uh, ch chattel slavery, and um, this was precisely justified with the Bible. Uh, there was actually a Bible that was created and edited to uh, actually utilize this to justify slavery. Uh, all the passages about freedom and about um, just dignity were erased, and passages like the one we just heard were actually highlighted uh, partially. And this system that we are familiar with, uh, the uh, chattel slavery of Africans into what is now the United States, was allowed, uh, and Europeans went to steal people from Africa, transported them to other parts of the world. They were sold, they were owned as slaves, and people utilized the Bible to do those things. So, um, to make matters worse, uh, the Bible was also used to civilize some of these subhuman people. Uh, the Africans were not seen as human, were actually seen as uh, subhuman, and they were tried to evangelize with this same Bible, which is in itself something to be um, admired. It is not only something that happened in America. As a Hispanic, it's something that also happened in, in, in our countries in South America and Central America and uh, in North America as well. The quote-unquote discovery of America uh, was also carried out in the name of faith. This was not, not only carried out but also funded by the Catholic monarchs in Spain and uh, the, the people who came to America, especially in Mexico and ev everywhere in South America, were given the mission to Christianize the indigenous people because we were also not humans or subhuman. And um, 
Christianize them or civilize them was the term that you was utilized in order to for them to become more uh, people or more like people. And so similarly to the African experience, the natives of the, of the Americas were not seen as humans, and people were called to Christianize or evangelize these Indians. And in fact, there is a term in Latin America that people use, and it's encomiendas, which basically means like uh, something for you to do. And encomenderos were people who used to or were supposed to evangelize or Christianize the indigenous persons. And the, what really happened is that they enslaved and utilized them for uh, their own purposes as a part of their sanctification and as a part of their uh, evangelism process. So this is the part of a story of all this continent when I say America, in, 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 in terms of the history that I'm talking about, I refer to the entire continent. Uh, when I went to school in Mexico, we only have one American continent. And every time we say America, we mean all of this side. We don't have South America or, or North America. We actually have one continent, and we call it all America, which was weird to me when you guys call it America, because I was like, well, it's just one part of America. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Uh, this is not exclusive uh, to this side of the world. Uh, the African uh, slavery also happened in South America. Uh, that's why you see uh, black people in the Caribbean and in some parts of Central America and South America because they were also transported and sold as slaves in those regions. It is also something that happened in Asia. We have uh, the, the countries like the Philippines and, and, and India that were also... Uh, invaded by Spanish and the British. So this is all over the world. And people believe that one of the biggest tools utilized to promote and justify slavery was the Bible. And to be honest, I see why people say that sometimes. I want to be honest. I, I see that we don't have a passage in the Bible that says it is wrong or condemns it flat out, and we'll talk about that in a minute. To make matters worse, this is not a problem of the past. Slavery is still happening today among many peoples and in different forms. According to the International Labor Organization, there are close to 50 million people in slavery today. Slavery has evolved and developed and unfortunately, women and children are disproportionately vulnerable to this. In modern slavery, looks looks differently. There's forced labor, sex trafficking, forced marriages, migrant exploitation. And there's also some places that uh, typical slavery still occurs. So, I'll, I say this to be honest and to say it was wrong and yes, the Bible was utilized to justify these things. But I also want to say that all slavery that I just mentioned, the African slavery, the, the conquest of America, and the, the invasion of Asian countries, all of those things have one thing in common. And is that people were not considered as few fully humans or they were treated as property. So in essence... Slavery erases the dignity and value of human beings in order to abuse and exploit them. And I would agree with the skeptics and critics that everything I just mentioned was supported by the Bible, yet 
horribly wrong. Now, I want to say, even though I agree with the fact that the Bible was used for this, I don't agree with the fact that people say that the Bible endorses or supports this. I actually want to argue the opposite of that. And I want to start by reading the last verse of the text that we just heard. Verse 9 says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I want to say that the Bible fundamentally destroys and opposes the premise of slavery, which is that slaves are not humans or that they are property or people are property and that they have no value or dignity. And the first proof is in this text. Paul addresses the masters, the people who owned people, and tells them something that nobody ever said to them before. Number one is you should also submit to your bond servants. And I want to make sure that you hear that right. Paul is saying to them that they should also submit to their bond servants. You heard that well. When Paul says in, in verse 9, Masters, do the same to them, what Paul is meaning is what he said in, in, in verse uh, 521, chapter 5, verse 21. This is the umbrella argument for everything we've been talking about, from marriage to parenting, and now in this relationship, Paul said in verse 21, setting the, 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 the ground for all of this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we talked about how the word submit takes very different uh, uh, forms depending on the relationship we're talking about. We also talked about how Paul gives us a clear definition of what the word submit means in uh, Philippians chapter 2. And it is that in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So this is revolutionary. We have to see that the Bible is calling the masters to treat their bond servants with respect to the point that they actually look after their interests, consider them before themselves, and are humble. Paul is calling us to prefer, to consider, and to see others as more important than us. That's what Paul is saying to these masters. That is completely against anything similar to slavery. In fact, this verse, verse 9, was completely erased from the slave Bible of that day. Why? Because it pushed the owners or the slave masters to treat their slaves correctly. Paul tells the people in authority that they should treat their servants or bond servants with love. And this is revolutionary. So, the Bible does not support treating any person harshly or whipping them or making exhibitions of them. No, the Bible never supports any of those things. It does not support stealing someone's land. It does not support stealing a person as property and exploiting them. No, the Bible is actually completely opposed to that. 
to the point that it calls whoever is doing this to treat the other person with love, humility, and care. And we need to note that uh, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to say that I wish I could have time to say, but there is a big difference between the slavery of what happened in this country and in America, uh, uh, again, the continent, as opposed to what was happening in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. For instance, generally speaking, slavery was not based on race or ethnicity back then. Slaves were also considered human beings. People could choose to become a slave voluntarily in order to avoid being homeless or to pay a debt. People who went into slavery uh, voluntarily could also exit voluntarily at any time when they met their, uh, their, their responsibilities. Slaves were paid. Slaves could marry their master's sons and daughters. Slaves could actually even inherit their master's uh, stuff and properties. And they had always a way out. And this is across the board in a lot of different uh, cultures of the day. But it's more specifically the Jewish law in the Old Testament actually allowed people to sell themselves into slavery. But they had a term. Jewish slaves or people who sold themselves into slavery served a maximum term of seven years. And then they were obligated to be free on the seventh year, which is called the the year of Jubilee. Hurting a slave was punishable. Killing a slave was punishable. Stealing a person was punishable by Jewish law, etc. So, the Bible does not condone or support slavery. The Bible actually opposes slavery. And even though it carefully regulates it in the Old Testament and some passages in the New Testament, it's because of the fault. The fault, the sin entering into the world. Paul tells the masters, you're not better or more than anyone. You're both the same. Paul ends this argument saying, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Paul actually says, there is actually someone above you both, and that is God. And with God, there is no partiality. He doesn't see anyone differently. There is only one person in charge. There is only one master of everyone and everything, and it's the creator, and he is in heaven. Paul levels the playing field by saying that there's only one real higher authority over both. There is no preferred people. There is no better people. There is no more advanced people. There is no partiality with him. All humans are equal. And this, I believe, is the strongest argument against the idea that the Bible supports slavery. No, the Bible does not support slavery because the Bible says from the beginning, from the first chapter of the entire book, that all humans are equal. God is a master of both. And God says this not only about masters and servants. He says it about husbands and wives and about parents and children. God is the ultimate authority, and we are all under his authority. And this is the the verse that sets the stage for the entire book. And it's the first chapter of the book. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. The Bible makes it very clear. Then God said, 
Let us make men in our image, after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth, over, over, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. There is four times that God says about the first one in, in verse 26, let us make men in our own image. And then he repeats it after our own likeness. And then at the end he says, so God created men in his own image. In the image of God he created. There is an emphasis in God saying, I created human beings like me with my image. There is an imprint of God in every human being. And in fact, when he gives us dominion, he doesn't say that we're going to be able to rule over each other. He says, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, over creeping things. But there's no mention of any other human being. The Bible cannot support slavery because it says we're all the same. And we're all valuable. The imago Dei, which is what the, the, the theological term for what we just said, the image of God in every person, is the foundation of human rights. Is the foundation of understanding that every person is equally valuable, equally worthy of respect and love, and every human being is dignified by God because we carry his image. It doesn't matter what color people are. It doesn't matter how people were raised. It doesn't matter if you have any education. It doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter how your life has turned out. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter if you're in jail or in the White House. It does not matter who you are. If you are a human being, you are worthy of respect and love, and you are equally valued as any other human being in history. The Bible cannot condone or support slavery because this is the basic premise of our faith. We are called to love even our own enemies. The Bible does not even open the door for us to hate other people. We are called to love everyone, our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anyone who's around you. That's your neighbor. And then Jesus makes it clear. We are called to love our enemies. And even though I believe and I see why people would come to the conclusion that the Bible supports slavery, I cannot agree with them because of this argument. Because of the image of God in every human being. I am a skeptic at heart. You can ask my wife. And the only reason why I strongly believe that the Bible does not support slavery, even though it doesn't, it never actually says slavery is wrong. You're not going to find a, a verse that says or con that slavery is wrong or condemns slavery. The basic premise of everything is completely the opposite. And this, this concept of the, the Mago Dei in people is actually what was utilized by God to bring people out of slavery. The Christians who responsibly read the Bible and understood who they were in relationship with God became 
people who fought against injustice and slavery and oppression. And that's why we have the, the William Wilberforces, the, the Frederick Douglass, a slave who came out of that and through the Bible opened his eyes and realized that that was wrong. And then you have the MLKs and all the other people that have come and said, you know what? We are going to do this the right way because everyone, even our oppressors, even the people who enslaved us, they also have the image of God in them. And we have, uh, we have also some, uh, some um, abolitionists in, in, in Latin America that you need to know. One of them is uh, Fray Bartolome de las Casas, who was a Catholic Spanish friar who denounced the abuses and horrors of the Spanish conquistadors all throughout Latin America. And he spent his last years advocating in Madrid for the natives of, uh, of the whole America. And if you are interested, I would like to encourage you, if you want to, to, to read his Famous and very graphic book called A Brief Account of the Destruction of the Indies. And then you have Pedro Claver, who was a Spanish Jesuit priest who was assigned to the port of Cartagena, Colombia, what we now know as Colombia. And this port was actually the landing spot for slave ships between the Caribbean and South America. And he arrived there, and Jesuits take a vow. And they, they vow to three things, poverty, chastity and obedience but this Pedro Claver was so shocked by what he saw in the slave ships that he added a fourth vow he called himself a slave to blacks he actually earned the title of the apostle of the negroes and he dedicated his entire ministry to care for them and this is what Justo Gonzalez says about him toward the end bedridden unable to move and made to lie in his filth, he thanked God for the opportunity to experience something of what his flock had experienced in the slave ships. That is an example of someone who read the Bible, understood the Imago Dei, and said, this is wrong. Because there's really no other conclusion you can, you, can, you can get to if you actually read the Bible and love Jesus. We don't have time to go into detail, but the Bible does not support slavery. We even have a book, one of the most overlooked letters in the entire New Testament, the letter to Philemon, in which Paul actually advocates for Onesimus, who is a slave, to, go, to be taken back by his former owner, as a free man, because he was a Christian, because he, he actually says, receive him as a brother. But then, the Bible not only condemns this, it actually offers a better solution. And now we're going to dive a little bit into our first five, four verses of, of, of this text. And I want to read it again. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. And no, notice this, as you would Christ. Verse 6 says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. And then he says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from who? From 
the Lord. Did you notice how many times Paul is pointing people to Christ? Paul, in a way, is saying, focus on God. He, he, he in, a, in a sense, also reminds us that the master is also someone who has the image of God in himself. But the emphasis of Paul is not necessarily on that. Is that Paul is calling us to focus on Jesus, to do everything as if we're doing it to Jesus, to look at Jesus, to do the will of Jesus, to do the will of God. It seems to me as if Paul is saying, do not focus so much on your circumstances. Look at me. And this is not new. Paul writes to the, to the Roman church. Imagine the church that was under Caesar's control. And in Romans 13, Paul tells them to obey their authorities, to obey the government. These are like Nero and people that committed all kinds of atrocities. And Paul is saying submit to them again for Christ. So in a way, what Paul is saying, regardless of who the authority is, We're called to submit to them because of Jesus. Above everything, look at Jesus. Do the will of Jesus. And this is what Paul said to the to the wives and to the husbands and to the to the parents and to the children. He is always the example, he is always the focus. of everything. And as, as, as a clarification, nothing that Paul is saying here actually means that you should just obey your authorities or if you're a slave, you should obey your master blindly because he is like Christ to you. No. What Paul is saying is submit to them to the point that they do not violate God's will. So this does not mean that we should blindly obey our authorities. No. What Paul is saying is there is a higher authority above your master or your uh, government that is me. And as long as they do not violate my authority or my commands or my will, you should submit to them. The moment they stop doing that, you should not submit to them. Because your biggest allegiance is to God, not to men. This does not mean that we should stay quiet in the, in the presence of oppression or injustice. This does not mean that we should just obey blindly and do things that we're not supposed to do. This does not mean that we should not act against injustice or abuse. It's a calling to act based on God's will. And I believe that God's will, and we don't have time to go into this, but we should decry and we should call out injustice and act in favor of that. But my biggest point today for all of us, the emphasis I want to, I want to, to highlight is that Paul points the person in the disadvantage to Jesus, to Jesus' will and goodness. Because we're not alone. Because he's always there with us in the difficult moments. 
And in fact, this is not the first time that God does this. I want you to remember with me, Israel, the people of God, suffered and experienced injustice, abuse, and slavery several times in the Old Testament. And guess what God did constantly with them? He reminded them of who he was. The constant call from God to his people in the Old Testament is, remember me, come back to me, seek me, find rest in me. I am going to deliver you. Look at me. Israel went to slavery four times. The first one in Egypt, that lasted hundreds of years. The second one in Babylon, they were exiled. They were taken as slaves. The third one was in Persia. They were also exiled. And the fourth one is happening as this book has been written when the Romans are conquering Israel and all the known world. And in each one of these situations, we don't see God saying, get out of there, fight back. No. We see God saying, look at me. And that's what the world cannot understand. Everyone thinks that when we are in a difficult situation, what God needs to do is get out of there. Fight your way out. Fight for your rights. That's not what the Bible says because he has a bigger and better purpose for us, which is, look at me. You have a defender. You have help in me. You have everything you need in me. That's what God did throughout history. Some of these things lasted for years. And God came back and sent prophets to Israel to say, turn back, repent, look at Jesus, abandon your idols, come to me, come to me. That has always been the constant message from God to his people. And it continues to be today. And guess what? People started to bring up their own prophets. And in Jeremiah, you can read about this in Jeremiah 29 and 28 or 28, 29, that some of the prophets were actually coming out and and saying, you know what? Two years and God is going to destroy Babylon and we're going to go back and we're going to win the battle. And everybody said, yes, amen. Actually, Jeremiah 28 says that everybody shouted, amen. And then in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah comes in and says, I'm sorry, but that is all false. God is saying it's 70 years, and you better start working for the benefit of this city right now. He tells them, let your kids marry other kids. Plant vineyards. Build houses. You're going to be here for a while. But guess what? Focus on me because I have a plan for your benefit. And that's what Paul is saying. That's why you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says, flee, get out of here, fight for your rights. No, you're going to find plenty of verses in the Bible that says, look at me. I am the source of everything you need. God continues to redirect all of us and them to a higher hope, to something that is not going to be just for a few years, but something that lasts for eternity. The call that God has given to all of us is, look, all of this is going to pass. I am going to stay here. Come to me. I can give you hope forever. I can give you peace forever. I can give you abundance forever. I can give you joy forever. Come to me. 
But we're just like Israel. We're looking for joy and peace and all these things and these little things that make no sense and that are eventually going to end. And God is calling all of us to set our eyes on him. Bond servants, look at me. Bond servants, act as if you're doing it for me. I know this is hard, but I'm right there with you. And he's saying, now remember, I am going to repay you for this. So what I believe God is telling us all today is that whether you are in an unfair relationship or a difficult circumstance, as much as he cares about you in that moment, put our eyes on on him. Many of us are going through difficult times. Many of us are asking God to please stop this. Please tell me this. Please tell me if it's Mexico or the U.S. Please help me find a house. Please help this church survive. God, please help us. And he's saying, stop. Look at me. Let's... I was, I was writing this, and I was like, dang, God is slapping me in the face right now and telling me again, look at me, Chewy. He doesn't slap me in the face. It's just a way of saying it. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to focus on the circumstance. And that's why the Bible is so blunt. We see racism we see murder. We see all kinds of horrible things happen in the Bible. Situations that today are like unthinkable. And he's right there the entire time. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And he says it again today. And the craziest thing of all is that he always comes through. He sent Moses. He sent Daniel. He sent the judges. He sent Ezra. He used Esther to save his people. He sent uh, all these amazing people. He always comes through. He always sends a savior. But he is the one who does it. We never see, wow, and Israel found his way out and fought. And because of their wit and might and how amazing they are, they got free. No, we see the opposite. They keep doing the same thing over and over, and God comes, saves them, and he takes the glory. And that's what he wants to do with us. And he already sent a Savior for all of us. Because we were all slaves. Some of us are still battling with a bunch of stuff that we need to get rid of, and we're not going to be able to overcome any of those things. And God continues to say, I already sent Jesus for you. He already paid it. He already did it. You can't. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him. Look at him. Look at him. He came, and he defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated death. On our behalf. And he made a spectacle of them. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the the uncircumcision of your your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We are free. If you're a believer, you are free. If you're a believer, you have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. Cling to him. Look at him. Run to him. Daily. Constantly. And that's what I struggle to do the most. If you're not a believer, this freedom that is forever, this peace that is forever, is available to you through Jesus. Not on your own, not on your mind, not if it makes sense. It's through Jesus. You need to come to him and say, I cannot do this anymore. I need help. I need you. You need to repent of your sin and recognize him as your Lord and Savior. He wants you to come to him. And he, in fact, already came to us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he welcomes you into his family at any point. Let's pray.